Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the JW Show. Um, today we are doing another uh, Cypherpunk University alumni sort of hangout discussion get together, um, and we're going to do it a little bit different. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the folks that are here are uh, re repeat folks, so uh, we have had some more people take the class, but it hasn't been uh, you know in the bear market. Things have slowed down a little bit, um, so uh, so we're going to mix it up a little bit. And instead of it just being sort of like a class Q and A that you guys are sitting in on, um, we're going to grab questions that came up this uh, last couple weeks on the forum and discuss them sort of roundtable style. Um, and then there's also a few folks that have uh, thrown out some questions on Twitter uh, for the, the alumni group to discuss. So that's what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin economics, uh, good stuff, but uh, more of a roundtable than a uh, sort of class Q&A, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, thanks for listening, uh, joining in. Um, actually, and if you are listening right now uh, live and you want us to answer any questions that you have, um, go, uh, go look at uh, throw a link out here or something but um you can look at uh at the uh let's see you know what just go to my profile so at jw weatherman underscore and i will retweet right now the last uh, or that thread where where we're answering questions so hopefully that makes sense um so yeah uh, go to Twitter, go to at JWWeatherman underscore, click on my profile, and my last tweet will be the discussion thread. So if you have any questions for us to discuss, throw it in there and we'll catch it. Um, but uh, Nate, you got uh, at least a couple questions from the forum. So uh, you want to throw that out and uh, then whoever wants to give their opinion first, just go for it. Sure. Um, this is from Schneider11. Um, what are the risks of paper futures suppressing the value of Bitcoin? Uh, like like it happens now in precious metals, he says. Is there a possibility of Bitcoin scarcity being destroyed due to the unlimited paper supply via futures derivatives slash derivatives? Yeah, so if, if you guys have an opinion on that, I've got a couple thoughts uh, to share also, but um, yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that, uh, I mean, the, the, the summary of the question is, uh, can uh, can the supply of Bitcoin be increased through uh, sort of derivatives and other schemes? Um, what do you guys think? Well, I'll go first. I think it's uh, you've got a big issue where it, it, you you have to say what is actual Bitcoin, and if we have people that accept paper derivatives in place of bitcoin then you know that's no better than accepting fiat dollars so i think we have a responsibility as uh merchants uh especially to accept bitcoin um bitcoin settling transactions instead of settling some kind of futures product as far as like the long term like large market you know or derivatives and financial market regulatory or financial markets risk i'm not that sure about yeah, that's, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my thought as well. Um, I, I'm not like a lot of the other folks that are, that were like gold bugs before, like Trace Mayer, I think he was really into, uh, gold contracts and things like that. He was, you know, that side of the Austrian, Austrian camp, uh, before Bitcoin, I was working on technology stuff. So I don't, I don't know all of the different, um, 
sort of machinations that are involved in financial markets. Um, but I know a little bit about derivatives and futures and stuff like that. And I think from what I understand with gold, the issue is that you don't really know how much the total gold supply is. And there are gold certificates that are issued to people like they they want to buy gold, but they don't want to have custody of it. So they'll buy gold certificates and the certificate says it's an ounce or a kilo of gold. Um, but the company that issued the certificate doesn't actually have custody of the gold. They have like options or something like that. And so in in that way. I think at the end of the day, if there are people that think that they own gold that don't, then you've artificially inflated the supply, right? There's there's more, you know, it's kind of like a fractional reserve bank where there's more people that think they have deposits than there are total deposits available. So I could I could see some of that stuff happening with Bitcoin, but um, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Uh, I think in, in a sense that gets us back to the January 3rd Keys Day movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh, just for anybody that doesn't know what's going on there. So on January, uh, this is kind of a movement with some people on the on, on the on the crypto Twitter. They uh, they are advocating people remove their Bitcoin from the exchanges into their own private wallets uh, on or before January third, just to prove that the Bitcoin they think they own on the exchange is actually theirs. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, a coordinated bank run. Um, everybody's agreed that. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty cool idea to help minimize the risk a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Rollo? You think we're gonna You think we're gonna see uh, a phase where there's a lot of uh, fake Bitcoin? Um, you think we're gonna have to go through that? Uh, that that you know we've we've dealt with the uh, crap coins. We've dealt with the. Uh, forks uh what's you know is that is are we going to have a uh stable coin slash um fake bitcoin phase with a lot of people having stuff in custody and taking us a while to work that out yeah i'm sure we will uh i think the history of the altcoins and all that stuff is is probably good evidence of it happening again in the future but in another way but i'd be a lot more concerned about it uh if bitcoin wasn't as as sound and hard and government hard because uh, I'll, I'll appeal to tears law and say that uh, good money kind of drives out the bad when there's no government uh, saying that thou shall use this as money. So, you know, they, they can go ahead and, and, and do that and, and trade paper and, and inflate it. But I think as people start to catch on, it's just going to make the Bitcoin seem more valuable and people are going to uh, try to get rid of that, that paper in favor of the actual hard money. That's yeah. assuming that states don't ruin all this somehow. <laughs> right, right. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I think that there is a big difference between gold and one of the big differences between gold and Bitcoin is that Bitcoin's digital. And I, I hated that idea at first. Like, I, I spent a little bit of time before I really dug into Bitcoin thinking about, well, you know, if Bitcoin exists, we should have some kind of gold backed digital asset because that would be better. Um, but then after I did the threat model on Bitcoin, the fact that it's digital really clicked for me. And uh, it's not a weakness, it's actually a strength because um, stuff like these. Um, these fake gold certificates, it would be much harder to do that in Bitcoin simply because there's no storage cost and it's it's uh, instantly verifiable, right? Um, with gold, if we had a bunch of certificates, you know, people can move gold around in the background. They can also just have gold that's 
like plated gold and so you'd have to like drill it or boil it or melt it down and go through this whole process to verify it but with bitcoin there's there's no reason to have storage costs um because holding your keys is actually better and more secure than letting somebody else hold your keys for you um but if you are letting somebody else hold your keys there's gonna have to be storage costs i mean that that would be more expensive to do right probably than even just holding gold because all of your like any employee that gets access to the private keys they just have you know instantly stealable um digital assets that they they don't have to walk out of a metal detector at the end of the day i mean that's that's a that's a nightmare situation so i feel like anybody that's doing custody of bitcoin is going to have to charge a significant fee because of all of the risks associated with those um whereas uh it's free just to hold your own keys and it's more secure so i'm i'm kind of hoping that it will be minimal but it wouldn't surprise me if we went through a phase where people had to learn the hard way um and you know maybe we're doing that now we've certainly got a lot of money on exchanges uh which is that whole you know let's everybody withdraw our funds on the third of january to see which exchanges are solvent which ones aren't idea um but hopefully it won't be as like long and systemic as it is with uh with golds and things that are physical so i i think it's worth considering too that you know with with a lot of these finance products you have cash settled versus physically settled like derivatives and futures markets and if we're talking about cash settled bitcoin meaning that no bitcoin is actually changing hands so to speak on the blockchain then it's all happening on a second layer network right and i can't and and like we brought up when this first question was first asked i can't take my certificate for Bitcoin on this second layer network, if that's like a futures market. And I can't go and like spend that with a merchant who accepts Bitcoin, right? Because those two things aren't really compatible on the base layer of Bitcoin, which is the Bitcoin blockchain. If we're talking about physically settled Bitcoin, well, then we already know that that really can't be inflated. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually see like the best financial firms that are offering these types of products in the future are actually offering like cryptographically signed public ledgers because Bitcoin is already a public ledger. So if you have the private keys and you own the Bitcoin, you should be able to post cryptographic proof that you actually own that Bitcoin. I don't see why, you know, any service that's not trying to prove that it's the best, that it maintains a one to one ratio of the Bitcoin on the books versus the Bitcoin that they physically hold. Why wouldn't they make that verifiable for their audience? And I'll go even further than that and say that uh, these derivatives markets and these futures markets, they're a good thing. Like despite what anybody on crypto Twitter might tell you, it's a good thing for people to have more financial tools available for them in these markets, particularly for like the miners who have really high overhead risk. When they have the ability to short Bitcoin in the long term, they can actually hedge their profit margins and they can make themselves much less susceptible to volatility on a long term. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I know that there's uh, there's definitely, a, you know, the anarchist streak or whatever, like everything that Wall Street does is evil. But um, 
But if you are a miner, just just to play that out a little bit, and you're investing a ton of money into mining hardware, and you're assuming that you're going to be able to, let's say the price of Bitcoin is 3000 right now, and you're about to buy a ton of hardware and infrastructure, you're going to invest $10 million in this big facility and all of this hardware, and you know that you have to be able to sell it. You know, you, you have to be able to sell Bitcoin for, say, $5,000 of Bitcoin for the next six months. Um, or sorry, $2,000 uh, for the next six months, it might be smarter for you to, you know, essentially short it. Um, and at 2,500 from the three now, if you're going to be able to do that over a six month period, if there's contracts that end over that, that period of time, just to take that, that part of the risk out of your business, you know, you, you might, you might want to not speculate as aggressively on Bitcoin, but your businesses, you can find cheap electricity. Like you specialize that, you, you focus on that and you're the best at finding places in the world that have cheap electricity. Um, those are the kind of tools that allow you to not be as much of a speculator uh, and, and just do what you're good at. So I think, I, I agree. I think those things are a good thing. Um, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of shenanigans and, uh, this question kind of made me think about my overall um, my overall feelings with like how Bitcoin adoption is going, you know, bear market, all that sort of stuff. I think it's going really well. I think we just have more layers. Like Bitcoin is this acid that has to eat through all these scammy layers. Um, and I think there's just more and thicker layers than, uh, than like the more I learn about sort of traditional markets and all that sort of stuff, the more layers of scam and fraud that I'm realizing are there that Bitcoin's going to have to eat through. Um, so, you know, it, it could take a decade. It could take a couple decades. I don't know. But, um, but you know, the technology is sound and it's making progress. Um, and it's, it, and in a way, just shows how much more important it is, right? The longer it takes to be adopted because of these layers of fraud, uh, that just shows how how bad the fraud is in all of these different areas and all these different ways. So uh, that's sort of my my overall feel on the space right now. Um, any anybody else have any comments on uh, on the question of sort of fake bitcoins? All right, uh, Nate. What's what's the next question from the? Okay, this one's from uh, Daniel Musi. Um, how would a stateless society defend themselves against a collectivist empire like China if they decided to take their freedom? Awesome. That's a fun question. I love, uh, I love the uh, good old, what is the world going to look like after Bitcoin defunds the state? Are we all going to be running around with spears or can we do better than that? Uh, what, what, what do you guys think? What do you think, Rollo? Or Sean, Sean, if you have a thought, jump in too, man. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I was getting my microphone unmuted. Um, no problem. But uh, yeah, uh, we got to ask that question a lot. The uh, the what if? Uh, I I don't think there's a, there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, first one being that a stateless society that uh, respects private property, I think, will be extremely productive, and I don't think that other countries would necessarily want to. Uh, overtake us as opposed to uh would they would rather trade with us i think it'd be uh much more much more profitable uh 
Michael Humer in his book, The Problem of Political Authority, makes that case. And he also makes the case in, in a situation where there's maybe a, a country that doesn't have a military or uh, is, is weaker in that way that other countries would come to their defense. Uh, currently, there are countries around the world that don't have militaries, and they are not being attacked by uh, other aggressive nations um, as soon as they don't have a military. And that's for various reasons. Uh, and then the other thing is that with that wealth that this uh, society would create is that they would, especially if, if Bitcoin's involved and in how it lowers your time preference, they will be looking ahead. And if we can think of these questions right now and say, um, come up with scenarios that, that would be issues, I'm sure that they would be thinking about that uh, very hard as well. And that's why I think insurance would be would be dealing with a lot of these problems where they'd say, uh, all right, well, we've got a lot of valuable assets, uh, a lot of capital, a lot of people here, and we don't want to mess that up. So let's kind of pull some money together. And if there's an attack, let's make sure that we have the military power to, to fight back against it. Um, and I think that basically all business interests, especially the larger they are, would be incentivized to participate in that. I have some thoughts on that too. Yeah, um, go for it, man. So there is a kind of a country. Uh, since since uh, oh, uh, people might be listening on audio, this is the uh, infamous Nate uh, who's responsible for organizing almost everything that we do on the uh, cypherpunk U stuff. So sorry, go ahead, Nate. Thanks, man. Right, thanks. Um, so there kind of is a country that exists right now that is, it's not that exactly a stateless society, but it's probably the closest that that you could be and it's probably what would be probably one of the most difficult countries for any country to invade and that country is switzerland um so the way they're <clears throat> first of all it's a very they have a centralized government but it's a very decentralized uh uh, uh system of governance where uh they have little, they have cantons which are are uh have a lot of cantons that have a lot of power um, and every citizen there over a certain age has an assault rifle, a ton of ammunition and anti-armor weapons. And obviously they're in the mountains. So the terrain would be absolutely terrible for an invasion. But, uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I had this conversation with somebody. I'm like, you think that, you, you know, if you think the United States had problems in Iraq, just imagine a country trying to invade Switzerland. Um, and I think a stateless society, it would be pretty much the, it would be kind of the same thing. There would be no real centralized target. There would be no centralized government or leaders to kill. There would be no deck of cards where you could collect uh, leaders and, and break the people that way. Um, it would be a million, you know, a million people, 10 million people, hundred million people all armed by themselves. You'd have to take, take them out one by one by one by one. And it would be, it would be absolutely uh, extremely expensive to do something like that, and and and, what, and then what are you going to get? There's there's no there's no uh, taxes to uh, to plunder. Um, you know, you'd have to the plunder would have to be house by house by you know uh, building by building. It would it would just be I would think a nightmare. So that's it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's that's exactly. Um... That's kind of the way that I look at it in the, so after I did the Bitcoin threat model, I did the human threat model because um, I was just kind of inspired by this particular question. Um, and the way that I, I looked at it 
uh, was really similar. Um, it, it's not, it's not a matter of like, how do we create an environment where, um, a crazy country, you know, like an insane dictator with, uh, you know, uh, a million nuclear bombs that, uh, that are strapped to ICBMs that can reach all the way around the planet. Like, how do we defend ourselves against that? Cause nobody could like, by definition, like a madman with that many nuclear weapons, nobody can defend themselves against that. But that's not really the question. Um, cause we haven't really seen that behavior, even though, you know, we're supposed to think that Kim Jong-un or whoever is completely insane. It turns out that in order to get that much power, you're usually not insane. Um, you're usually just, you know, a, a pretty effective gangster. Um, and so what these guys are looking for, um, yeah, George Bush, um, what these guys are looking for is they're looking for profits. And if you can have a, a, a society of people that are not profitable to attack, um, that's the best that you can do. And it doesn't mean that you'd be totally safe. I think um, Afghanistan is a society that's proved to be super unpopular or unprofitable to attack, right? It's been like the end of, uh, the Soviet union and arguably the end of the American empire. Um, and, uh, they didn't really have that much as far as natural resources to offer except for opium. So I think that's part of the reason that they have just, you know, just been a bad place to go after, but, um, but the cost of attacking people there is really, really high. Like the, there's a lot of weaponry. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, young men that are more than willing to just grab an AR-15 or an AK-47 and an RPG and just uh, be difficult to deal with for, for, a, uh, uh, for an attacker. Um, and so that's sort of, I think, the model um, is how do we create a society that's not cost effective to attack because even if we ended up getting attacked uh you know one society or one group ends up getting attacked overall we're creating a world where people don't get attacked because if the attackers are impoverished it's sort of like the bitcoin uh you know 51 percent attack sort of thing right yes you can you can mine invalid transactions or you can do these things um you can short bitcoin you can do all this stuff but at the end of the day um if if we have created a model where all of those bad actors end up poor after they've attacked than before they've attacked, then, then we're on track, right? Like we'll get there. Um, and I think if you look at it from that perspective, what, what Nate said makes perfect sense, right? Like citizens that have access to small arms, that makes it much more expensive to attack. If there's not a central authority that's already fleecing these people, like as an attacker, what you want is you want a central authority and you want a lot of submissive sheep, right? That are easy to fleece. If you have the opposite, if you have like a very decentralized, just crazy ass group of people that have small arms and don't pay any taxes, that's the last thing that you want to uh, want to go after. So I, that, that's, that would be my answer too. I think that logic holds up. Um, anybody else have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so I, I think part of the framework for this question is going to depend on how much wealth we're talking about has been absorbed into Bitcoin. Like, because if we use the United States as an example, say, you know, you have to ask why are things like embargoes that the United States uses and sanctions, why are they effective? Well, it's because the United States controls so much global trade that cutting somebody out of that piece of the pie is extremely damaging to their ability to actually prosper as a nation. So if we think of Bitcoin like, like this digital economy, right? And if these countries are like flat out rejecting this new digital economy and that digital economy has absorbed a, 
a massive amount of global wealth, like those at, at a certain point in the day, those countries are just shooting themselves in the foot. So there's sort of a point in no return there where I think it's going to end up becoming these nations versus Bitcoin and all of the wealth behind Bitcoin and whether or not they want to get on board with that or whether or not they want to try to fight it. It's going to be like the United States putting up or oil embargoes against Japan, you know, right before World War II. And then now we have World War II and who the winner is going to be there is ultimately going to depend on like who's got more skin in the game and the economy and like whether or not they're willing, like, you know, it, it gets really complicated when you start looking at it like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I think w- one of the things that, or maybe the key thing that got me really excited about Bitcoin uh, in this context is I think it might be, it might be the thing that switches um, theft to be theft itself to becoming relatively unprofitable. Right. So if you, if you just think of like the most simple scenario, just a guy uh, traveling, you know, by himself out on the road, headed to a market and, you know, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, bandits come up on him and rob him. That's sort of what the state is, right? Like it's more systematic. It's more organized. It's usually got a lot more layers of propaganda to make people resist less and some other things like that. But if you can make that scenario unprofitable, I think you can make all of the other layers and uh, nonsense that's put on top of it unprofitable too. And I think that before Bitcoin, it, almost always would be profitable, right? Like that if you can get, you know, eight guys together and just waylay some dude on the road, it's, you're probably not going to spend more in bullets and effort than you get uh, off of him, right? Off of his dead body. Um, But if you throw a Bitcoin into the mix, all of his savings are going to be in a brain wallet, right? Uh, Or in a hardware wallet or something. And now you, you actually have to like torture this guy. Um, and then after you're done torturing him, you still don't know if you got his stuff or not. So that kind of goes back to the fact that Bitcoin is digital. It makes it so much harder to steal that it really does fundamentally, I think, uh, shift the nature of the game. Um, and, you know, the appreciation thing is huge too. If one of these countries holds out as Bitcoin's adopted, um, they're going to be relatively impoverished compared to the, you know, the the nation of free people that they want to attack. So I think that that's, that makes sense too. Right? Yeah. yeah. And just as a side to that, you know, right now, this current system of war that we have, it's only possible because of the just crazy amounts of money that these countries can generate through seniorage. And in a world where global uncensorable sound money exists, you know, how many people are going to be really truly falling for the seniorage scam? I mean, the United States can keep it going because of the petrodollar and because of the fact that so many countries use the US dollar as a reserve currency. And because most like global trade is denominated in the US dollar one way or another, at some point, like most countries own lots of dollars and the United States can keep printing more and more and more because there's so much demand, which lets them fund like these crazy wasteful overambitious, ridiculous bureaucratic projects in a world where sound money is like the king that, that suddenly loses a lot of its luster. Like that, that's going to run out of gas really fast. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's not like we're, we're not talking about sci-fi stuff here. We have, we can look back in history and see that countries that, um, that were on a gold standard were a lot less belligerent and had a lot less ability to fund 
you know, there wasn't any total war that was funded without a central bank. And if there's one thing that Bitcoin definitely goes after, it's central banking. So, yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic um, about the impact that Bitcoin is going to have on society and these sort of stuff. Um, I think I think a lot more reason to be optimistic about that than even, you know, making money on Bitcoin. Like I would like everybody that's, you know, everybody that's that's involved to make a bunch of money on Bitcoin. But more than that, I hope that Bitcoin ends up defunding um, some of these uh, violent systems so that, you know, our kids and our grandkids don't get drafted. I think that's going to be a lot more important to us when we're 60 than, you know, how many sick gains we got. All right, next question. All right, this is the last one. Um, so recently there uh, was an atomic swap for the first time on the Lightning Network of ERC-20 tokens to Bitcoin. Um, is this a big deal? Is this worth celebrating? Awesome. Good question, man. Uh, this is a weird one. This is weird on multiple levels for me. So, um, yeah, what, uh, you guys have any thoughts on that, Sean? Hey. hey man, thanks for <clears throat> Sorry about that. I was on the network still, so just finishing off some things. Um, I'm not too excited about that. I, I Originally, when I first heard about the atomic swaps, it sounded awesome, but <clears throat> now, at least in the bear market where everything else is down and I don't really have any interest in that ERC-20 tokens, doesn't uh, too much excite me. Cool. Cool. John, you haven't chimed in yet. How's it going, man? I think that is a function of, uh, you know, ERC-20 tokens as, uh, as shares of a company and not necessarily as a world computer or anything else. I think that the advent of atomic swaps using Lightning is a good thing. Only if we treat those ERC-20 tokens as shares and we say there's Lightning nodes that are operating as miniature stock markets where you could take shares of the company and you could trade it for Bitcoin. Um, and there, there will be other other currencies, other cryptographic devices that signal ownership interest in a company that you can do that as well. That'll come about in the future. Um, being particularly excited about uh, anything around Ethereum and a lot of the hype that goes around it. I'm not, I'm not necessarily there with that, but I think it's a, it's a good sign that, you know, Bitcoin can keep kind of advancing slow, slower than I think what Silicon Valley would expect, but at a fairly fast rate for money. And, um, it's it's trying to do a lot more things. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Don't disagree. Other John. John too. Hey guys. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. You sound good. Man. Um. Yeah. So that's kind of just a question I have. Really, I don't have a comment there, but. Um, I see that Lightning is going to be interoperable with any blockchain. Um, so, you know, that leaves the open question, are these things going to exist and are people going to use them in the future or are we just going to build stuff on Lightning and Bitcoin? Um, I don't know why Lightning would want to support all those other blockchains. That sounds like a headache to me, um, but I'm not a dev, so I guess I don't understand it on a technical level. Yeah, I think what's going on is those other projects, they, they've, they're going to try to build some uh, layer two lightning-like technology. Um, so I don't think the lightning devs, I've, I've not heard any of the lightning devs on Bitcoin have any interest in trying to enable lightning on, I don't know, uh, 
anything else, but, um, but the, you know, a lightning transaction is just a cleverly delayed Bitcoin transaction. So in theory, maybe you can do a cleverly delayed Ethereum transaction, right? Um, I don't think that you can, I don't think it makes, I don't think you can do a regular transaction on Ethereum, frankly. So I don't even know what the uh, point of trying to do a delayed one is, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think that's what's going on with Lightning. I I do know uh, um, Giacomo Zucco is working on a, a protocol to allow you to do basically ERC-20 tokens natively on Lightning and Bitcoin um, and uh, called RGB. Um, and I think that's a, a much cooler idea long-term um, than ERC-20 tokens um, on Ethereum, which is just a kind of a, a scam coin uh, in and of itself. Um, there's, there's so many security issues with Ethereum itself that it's hard to be excited about anything on it. Um, but then there's also the liquid network. Um, and those guys are supporting, you know, ERC 20 tokens, basically just assets, um, uh, on, uh, on the liquid network. Um, and I think that's, that will be a cool way to do it. I still kind of see it as a stopgap between being able to get that enabled on like a layer two lightning network. Um, cause liquid is still custodial, even though it's better than, you know, a single custodian. Um, but there's this weird angle on this one that, that, uh, that kind of gets me excited about it. And that is that, uh, there are some stable coins. I think the Gemini dollar is an ERC-20 token. I haven't screwed around with those yet. But um, but what I'm really excited about is the idea that um, decentralized exchanges uh, combined with stable coins allow for a really rapid exit from fiat. So when we've had these big bull runs in the past and people have been really excited, um, Coinbase has gotten backed up like any of the exchanges have gotten backed up for months. So when we've, you know, hit 20,000 or whatever the last, you know, uh, all time highs were, those were probably tamped down quite a bit from where they wanted to go. Cause you're, you're talking about like a marketplace that's selling oranges and oranges are now going for a hundred dollars a piece, but there's a massive line out the door. Right. And people just can't get in to buy oranges. Like if people could actually get in, uh, then whatever the price of orange is, is would would be much higher. So, so I'm excited about the idea that uh, that stable coins, even though I hate ERC twenty crap and I hate Ethereum, I'm excited about the the I'm excited about stable coins being an option for people to have and quickly jump out of fiat into uh, into Bitcoin. And with the atomic swap, that's sort of like a that, that's the ideal situation because you're, if you took a stable coin, you know, if Tether or whatever, um, or Gemini, and you traded that for Bitcoin, but you did it in an atomic swap, that what that means is that like the atomic in like computer lingo means that if part of it fails, the whole thing fails. So like if you were to give away your stable coins in exchange for Bitcoin, and for some reason the Bitcoin didn't happen, then the sending of the stable coin wouldn't happen, right? It's like an all or nothing transaction. So from a security standpoint, that's really nice uh, when you can do things atomically like that. Um, so it's kind of weird. I'm kind of excited about Ethereum right now. I hate to say it. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited about stable coins and uh, some of them 
maybe all of them, I don't know, seem to be on Ethereum right now. I'm sure they'll be moving to Liquid. If if Gemini is not doesn't have a team looking at trying to move off of ERC-20 onto Liquid, um, or better yet, uh, Liquid maybe temporarily and then help establish RGB. They're, they're not thinking straight. That's the way to go. Um, so, yeah, I guess I am sort of excited about it. Uh, any, any other thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so uh, from my understanding, like a lot of these uh, crypto protocols like that are just basically Bitcoin with little parameters tweaked here and there, like Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash, that did nothing other than increase block propagation time, increase block size, um, just little things like that that were really insignificant to the overall protocol and really do nothing other than make it faster and less secure. There's sort of this belief floating around that lightning and atomic swaps are going to like prolong the life of Litecoin because it's like, oh, well, now you can exchange Bitcoin and Litecoin almost interchangeably immediately and you can do it and it's completely decentralized. And oh, Litecoin has a lightning network, too, because it's going to be compatible to me. That's ridiculous because now it's like, OK, you can instantly trade this uh, Bitcoin you have for Litecoin, which is a less secure version of pretty much the exact same thing, except now the number one selling point of Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash, which is that it's slightly faster, maybe a little bit cheaper, is gone because it's compatible with Atomic Swaps and Lightning Network. What's the point? Why would I trade a more secure asset for a less secure asset that, that's completely asinine? So it Lightning, if like, like Lightning usefulness and integration and Atomic Swaps with Litecoin effectively makes it useless. I, I don't understand. And for me, it's like, okay, now you can trade your Bitcoin for Ethereum instantly and you can do it totally securely and decentralized with atomic swaps. I still don't have a reason to trade any of my Bitcoin into Ethereum and I certainly don't plan to. And I'm of the belief that sooner or later we're going to be able to do smart contracts on Bitcoin anyway. So what difference does it make? Yeah, totally. I mean, if anybody is thinking about creating a asset right now, I would definitely not say to do it on Ethereum. I would say just do it on Liquid. Um, Liquid's going to, um, they, they don't have, uh, I think Green Address is going to be the first like mobile wallet that supports it. That's That doesn't support, um, it supports Liquid, I think. It doesn't support assets on Liquid, maybe. Um, but I would definitely not recommend doing it on Ethereum because Ethereum is just a dumpster fire of security issues. Um, it's just a terrible, terrible architecture. It's a terrible piece of software. Um, nobody can run a full node. I mean, it has an unlimited supply of tokens. It's just ridiculous on multiple levels. And Litecoin's the same way. I mean, it's I, I created number two coin uh, as a sort of a meme. I almost launched it actually. Um, but some people were really concerned that it was going to establish itself and have market value and destroy my reputation. So I, uh, so I didn't, but I kind of wish that I had, but I was just going to create an exact copy of Bitcoin and then jokingly say, um, well, I, I kind of did. There's some videos where uh, Saifedean is just scratching his head, trying to figure out what in the heck I'm talking about. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you can create an exact copy of Bitcoin and it's better than Litecoin, right? You can literally just go 
download the code off of GitHub. Don't make a single change to it. Um, maybe make a change to it to change the address format or something just to be nice and not confuse the two coins. But even if you don't do that, if you just created an exact copy of Bitcoin, you didn't change anything, it's immediately better than Litecoin because Litecoin is Bitcoin with security flaws sprinkled in. Just like Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin with security flaws sprinkled in. So if you just copy it and you don't make any changes. Um, so like if you did think there was a need for some reason for them there to be an additional coin like Litecoin, number two coin would be be a better option. Like literally just go copy Bitcoin and then you can do atomic swaps. And actually um, there's not even a question as to whether it would support Lightning because if you don't change anything, it, it does right off the bat. Um, Bitcoin Cash can't support Lightning, at least not well, because one of the security flaws that it chose to sprinkle in was to hold on to transaction malleability so that you could do ASIC boost. So they're they're really screwed. They're not even going to be able to do lightning. But but yeah, this shouldn't give legs to any of those projects because their whole narrative, uh, like Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash are completely the same thing to me. It's just Charlie Lee is more likable than Roger Ver. That's the only difference. Um, but their whole narrative and their, their scammy reason for existence is Bitcoin can't scale, right? So we need to create something with either faster block times, Litecoin, or a bigger block, Bitcoin Bitcoin cash. Um, but you're totally right, man. I mean, once you have lightning, like what is even the story? Like what is a Litecoin person saying to himself right now as a reason for a Litecoin existing? I, I can't even imagine what it is. Um, the, the privacy coin narrative still has some legs like Monero and Grin. Those, those fraudsters are going to be able to suck a few more Satoshis out of people. Uh, but that one's getting pretty long in the tooth too with uh, layer two um transactions and especially if they start getting mixed you know like when you open a channel if it's automatically a, a, a coin join transaction they're going to have a really hard time uh there too so yeah i don't think it's cool that you can necessarily change garbage for gold and back again like just you don't you don't want to do that <laughs> that's not a good idea uh but the stable coins thing is interesting because at least in as much as like if you have a stable coin like the gemini dollar and there's risks, like who knows if they'll actually redeem it. I don't, I haven't validated this. Like who knows if how, at what point they're gonna censor you um, or say that you have to KYC and you know, do you have to KYC like every single hop? I, I have no idea what they're doing at this point. Um, but if you did have a token that represented uh, a, a dollar bill and it was issued for some from somebody that was relatively reputable, um, and uh, and they had a reputation for handing out dollars when you hand them those tokens. That's a really cool concept to be able to atomic swap between. But hopefully those guys will move off of those garbage coins as soon as possible. So, um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, any any other thoughts on that, guys? Yeah. Do you, do you think that's gonna just speed up the death of the all these altcoins, making it easier to change back and forth? So they're they're trying to do add features to their own projects, but it's just gonna they're just killing themselves accidentally. Yeah, I mean maybe because it's probably a pain to sell a lot of these things. Um, but I don't. I mean the ones that I think the ones that are big enough to have uh, very many people that have invested in them, they're they're supported on enough exchanges, right? Like you can go out to Bitfinex and sell those things. Um, I think the ones that like have super low volume, there's not a whole lot of people that have invested in them. So I'm, I'm not sure it's going to accelerate it. Um, but, but I do think that 
like I said, it's just going to be really hard for them to tell a story that's going to get anybody excited about their their scam. Uh, if if things continue the way they like, I I really don't I, like. Does anybody have any idea what Charlie Lee is telling people now as far as this? Because he blocked me on Twitter uh, a while back, so I haven't heard from the dude in a while. Like, sure. what is his story for talking about why Lightning? How does Litecoin have any purpose at this point? Charlie Lee sold all his Litecoin at the top of the last bull run and then basically let out a lot of like fluffy pony-esque cryptic tweets that said something along the lines of, if you buy it back in, it's extremely risky. I'm not telling you to buy back in. I sold all mine, so uh, my hands are clean from this mess. Nice. Yeah, I remember when he sold... um, but I didn't realize he was he was saying, you know, my hands are clean from it. That's interesting. I mean, it's hard to exit a Ponzi scheme. Um, it's hard to exit a fraud. Um, if he pulls that off, that will be his greatest achievement. Like if somebody doesn't drag him out of bed and beat him half to death in the middle of the night, uh, they got ripped off on Litecoin. I'm going to be pretty impressed. Yeah. And like a great example, you know, we have people in the chat on on YouTube here that are like, well, t- you know, tell explain why Litecoin is not as secure as Bitcoin. It's like... It, those are some of the most simple concepts. Like if you're in cryptocurrency and you don't understand that, you need to go back to square one. Like Bitcoin is the most secure blockchain. And like, this is not my opinion. Like this is objective truth. Bitcoin, like Litecoin is ex- like complete. It doesn't even hold a candle to the security of Bitcoin. And to argue, like I'm not going to sit here and argue with people about that because it's silly. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty painful. Um, Gosh, I can't believe people are, yeah, well, I mean, that's it. That answers the question, right? Like, why are people still buying Litecoin? Why, what's Charlie Lee's story? He doesn't even have to have one. It's just, it's cheaper than Bitcoin, right? Like, <laughs> people just go out to Coinbase. They're like, ah, you know, I could buy this. I think I'll buy a basket. I'll buy some Bitcoin and then I'll buy these fraud coins because I don't, you, don't got to get the silver to the Bitcoin gold, you know? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's right, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, the, the beauty of that, that, um, talking point is it's so retarded that I can't even counter it. Right. And like nothing about the universe could ever change. Like, it doesn't matter if we enable lightning, it doesn't matter if we have one Satoshi per, you know, transaction fees, uh, that are instant. Um, it doesn't matter if we get fungibility, you know, better fungibility with, you know, improved privacy and all that. You can always say it's the silver to Bitcoin's gold. And it's just so dumb. It's so vacuous that, you know, it, like you could always say that. So, well, it's part of the, it's part of the affinity scam too, is that they say, talk about, they appeal to the Austrian school of economics, which I agree with, but then they talk about the competing currencies and competition's great, but then they miss the point and missed the whole understanding of what money actually is. And we're, I'm not against putting Bitcoin against gold or Bitcoin against something else. I just think I support Bitcoin and only Bitcoin because I think that's going to win. Um, so that that's part of the issue too, is this whole, the, the competition meme, which is just a bastardization of what, uh, what currency competition actually is. It's not that you're constantly going to have uh, several coins uh, be money because that's just barter. You're going to have one beat out all the other ones. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we're not saying that uh, government should come uh, prevent you from creating a stupid cryptocurrency. Although if you do defraud people, 
and you tell, you know, you take advantage of their misunderstandings and deceive people into buying it, that's fraud. And that needs to be dealt with, but preferably um, from a functional justice system. But setting that aside, like if you just want to create a stupid project and you don't lie about it and people buy it, that's totally fine. We're just saying that's a bad idea. But, you know, run off the cliff, man. Nobody's nobody's uh, trying to take those options away from you. We're just saying maybe you should read a book on economics. Maybe you should take a class. Maybe you should get some context before you invest your life savings. But if not, that's fine because we need you to go broke because if you're that dumb, you're just a, you know, you're you're a walking uh, economic disaster. Um, so yeah, the sooner you're poor, the better off your kids are. Speaking of walking economic disasters, didn't Vitalik try to make fun of you on Twitter recently about uh... – saying you were contradicting yourself about there being one money and also uh, about monopolies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been having a good time with uh, fluffy pony and Vitalik for the last month or so. Like I, they, they kind of, they can get under my skin for a couple of days and then Nate like tells me, I just ignore those guys. And then I go, <laughs> I go work on MathBot and try to be productive, but yeah, Vitalik was, um, and it wasn't just Vitalik. Actually, what's funny is there's there's like the, such a big crew of morons that surround that guy. Um, and one of them, I can't remember his name, but basically I reposted the Bitcoin Maximalist Manifesto, um, which is just a couple page document. Uh, manifesto is probably not the right word for it, but it was kind of an homage to uh, the anarchist manifesto. Um, incidentally, uh, for, for those of you don't, that don't know, uh, Timothy May, uh, Timothy C. May passed away a couple days. Um, really tragic. Uh, he is, uh, he's just, he was just a really cool guy that was really generous with his time and very brilliant. So read the Anarchist Manifesto um, in honor of, uh, of Tim May. But, um, but yeah, so I posted this sort of Bitcoin maximalist manifesto and, uh, and he responded back and said something along the lines of, uh, you know, you, you, you want there to be a free market or something, but you only want a single money as if that's like a contradiction, right? Like you, you want people to be free to buy and sell. You don't want governments to put guns to people's heads, but you want everybody on the internet to use TCP IP or HTTP or, you know, um, SMTP, right. For emails like, or, or, you know, speak standard languages so we can understand each other. Uh, so that was that was annoying, but I kind of know his play. But then it's all the Ethereum or the ETH heads or whatever, you know, these guys that um, they're all social justice warriors and uh, they just they love central banking and they love government power. Um, and their their interest in Bitcoin uh, or cryptocurrency in general is just insane, right? Like how this applies to Andreas Antonopoulos too, but how could anybody that loves government power have any interest in Bitcoin? The whole project, like go go back and read the Anarchist Manifesto, read anything that Timothy C. May wrote, um, who is responsible for really giving an intellectual uh, form to this whole movement, uh, the cypherpunk movement that gave us Bitcoin. Um, the whole operation is taking away government power, guys. I don't know what you think you signed up for, but uh, all the technology is designed to do that. That's that's the whole that's the whole purpose. But but one of the uh, one of the guys that really cracked me up is uh, he's the voting on the blockchain guy. So he's a he's a Vitalik uh, you know fanboy, and he's he's trying to get governments to put voting on the blockchain, which is just it's crazy on so many levels. But but what cracked me up is I thought it was a meme. Like, I think, you know, I've heard people say that, like, oh, yeah, voting on the blockchain. And I thought it was like crypto kitties, but like worse, right? Like, 
people were tired of making fun of CryptoKitties, so they came up with an even stupider idea to sort of exemplify what Ethereum was about. But no, this guy's got like 12,000 followers. He actually exists. There really is somebody dumb enough uh, to be running a voting on the blockchain project. And I, I, don't, I can't remember what his complaint was, but it, it was something similar. Like, how, how could you possibly want there to be competition, but think that money is a third thing that we use to trade uh, to make trading easier? And it has to be one thing in order to be that. It's, it really is. It's something to behold, man. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of projection of cognitive dissonance on anybody that supports all these uh, shitty cryptocurrencies. They literally just take all the things that they don't understand and project them onto Bitcoin maximalists. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it it does seem to be that. Um, like, I'm always like having to step back and go, like, is is the world so much crazier to me today than it was a year ago? Just because I had like no social media contact. Like, I was just I was working on startups that were selling to businesses, and you know, like it was it was all like you know, it, I I had like no I was very insulated in a way. Um, like I wasn't on Twitter, I wasn't on Facebook or any of that stuff. Um, so now I'm like, gosh, does the world seem just like a caricature compared to what I thought of it a year ago because of being involved in Bitcoin? Or would I feel like this if I was just on social media in general? Because um, people seem really dumb, man, like disturbingly dumb. And I, I had no idea uh, what, what I was dealing with. But uh, just as a, as a random example, the number of people that are willing to comment on a YouTube video before they watch the YouTube video, just based on the title, like that's... I think we might be looking at the end of the world. Like if you want to really depress me, remind me of that fact. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all coming apart. That's no way we can keep going like that. <laughs> all right. I don't remember what we were talking about before I got, got everybody depressed. Um, so Nate stepped away. Uh, let's see. Um, you know what? I'm going to go over to Twitter cause we had a, a couple of questions. Uh, from Twitter. Let's see if I can if I can navigate social media. Uh, all right, hey, so yeah, yeah. Hey, I have a question, Sean. Oh yeah, go for it, man. Um, <clears throat> I just ordered the Casa node. Should be here by the end of the week. I'm really excited about it. Wait, <clears throat> I was. I, I just had a quick question. If anyone anyone can answer, just jump in and answer this for the Lightning Network. I saw someone tweet about it, but is there some way, the, like the amount of channels you open, could that benefit you in like some type of fees that you might make of all the people who come through your channel th through the routing? Yes. And is it just like, um, like I'm just trying to think, cause I know it's supposed to be, the fees are extremely low. Um, so you would just get like dust yeah, do you, in terms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, do you wanna explain kind of what's going on there, man? Yeah, so uh, fees, I think for a, like a lightning transaction right now, it's like six one hundredth of a penny or something. It's it's pretty insanely low. Um, but you can think about a node like like a house and you can think about a channel like two um, soup cans with a string running between them. And like if I take my soup can with a string and I run it over to your house, now we have a line of direct communication. But if I take a line with a, uh, a string with soup cans on them and I run them to like 50 of my neighbor's nearest houses, now I can talk to anybody 
uh, at any of those houses and anybody they can talk to can also indirectly talk to me. Uh, so channel with channels, like you're kind of just building layers of connection off of your node. And if you're routing payments um, between different people, you actually earn fees from that. But yeah, it's extremely small right now. It's it's tiny. I think the biggest guy, uh, Alex Bosworth, who I think is probably the biggest lightning developer right now, runs like probably one of the biggest nodes, makes like $5 a month. So right now, yeah, it's, it's pretty small, but the total network capacity of the lightning network right now is like one and a half million dollars. So it's, some, it's like almost, it's increased by like 50% in the last month. So it, it's growing faster than anything else in cryptocurrency. So while right now it's pretty small, I expect maybe sometime in the future, it could be enough to maybe sustain a business model. If you could create a, uh, a node that is able to establish profitable channels that are able to generate enough liquidity that you can actually make a decent money routing transactions. Yeah, I'm not too concerned with like, uh, you know, trying to make money on that. But I have noticed a bunch of people on Twitter are coming up with ideas to try to get people to open a channel with them. Um, I just saw one the other day that was just basically a, like roulette. You just sign up and put like five Satoshis on there, spin the dice, and then you get rewarded like 15 Satoshis. But in order to play, you have to open up a lightning channel with them and they're getting a ton of hits. So it seems like they're opening a ton of channels. So in the future, that that's pretty uh, a slick idea to get a ton of channels open early on. So, so what I'm seeing right now with Lightning is a lot of people are developing applications um, for, for like with Lightning for things that already exist but operate on like a fairly high profit margin. Like you look at something like Patreon. Patreon takes I, I don't know exactly. I think it's like three to five percent of like your monthly revenue. So it takes something like Lightning, right? And if I just build an application that lets you do the exact same thing that you would normally do on Patreon, but I don't take any cut whatsoever. The only way I make my revenue is by building out a lightning channel and taking the fees that I get from routing lightning transactions for providing the Patreon service. My margin is like razor thin, so small that no other company is going to be able to compete with me at all. And there's a guy right now who did that. Um, I think it's, let me look up the name of what it's called. Uh, so one of them, uh, just to, for anybody that's wants to wants to play along, uh, that's listening, uh, lightningspin.com. Thanks, John, for posting that. So if you go out to lightningspin.com, you can uh, you can basically gamble with a few satoshis. Yeah, yeah, uh, Satoshi's place. If you guys haven't seen that, you can draw for like one pixel for per uh, Satoshi. It's really similar to that million dollar homepage from like the early two thousands, I think it was, or like the late nineties, uh, where you would pay per pixel on the page. It's the same thing. It's powered by Lightning. Uh, the thing I was thinking of is Tallycoin. It's basically a Patreon alternative powered by Lightning, where they don't take any cut for the company. They just make money like having you open a lightning channel with them and route your transactions. It's 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 crazy. It's going to disrupt so many business models because nobody can compete with that unless they're on lightning. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the I, I used to say that like Bitcoin mining was the most brutal business that I'd ever heard of. Like, <laughs> absolutely no brand recognition right like it doesn't matter if you've been in business for 20 years or like two seconds like nobody cares um it's absolutely no barrier to entry right like all you have to do is buy uh mining hardware and find a place where you want to plug in and you, you're you're you play a completely a level playing field that makes it really tough to have anything approaching profit right um and 
now I would say there's something even worse. Like we, humanity has invented an even worse business model, like a more competitive, super uh, easy barrier to, or super low barrier to entry beyond anything. And, uh, and in spite of uh, Brian Armstrong at Coinbase pretending that he's worried about like, you know, big lightning nodes being established or whatever, there's no brand recognition, right? Like you don't even know who you're establishing connections with. Um, so anybody can spin up a lightning node, throw in some Bitcoin, open some channels, and uh, they they can outcompete Coinbase. Uh, and they're literally just running software, right? So um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of money made by running things on the lightning network. Um, I think Alex Bosworth has said his strategy is something along the lines of getting a well-established node on the network. And then if there is an explosion in usage, maybe uh, maybe there'll be some money to be made there. Um, I mean, my counter to that is that if there's an explosion in usage and there's any profits being made at all in the Lightning Network, everybody is going to spit up a Lightning node and those profits are going to go away. Um, because you can set your fee at seven Satoshis, right? And people are routing through you. But as soon as somebody sets up a node and sets their fee at six Satoshis, uh, they'll stop routing through you and they'll route through that guy. And then somebody else will drop it. And it's already, I think, at one, which is the lowest. I don't really see it going much higher because you're you're not you're not doing anything, right? Like there's no there's there's no real cost. It's not like with mining, at least there's some capital cost. Like, this is literally what what was the what was the casa node 200 bucks or something i mean it doesn't have to be yeah 300 bucks it doesn't have to be even probably that beefy i think people have been running nodes on 45 dollars raspberry pies um with sea lightning um so you can basically have an uh an incredibly cheap piece of hardware um you can throw some bitcoin on it that you probably you know are just planning on holding anyway the the only cost that i really see to running a lightning node is just the risk of having a hot wallet because you know you could get hacked and you could lose it um but but other than that uh since there's no real cost there's not really a way to uh to be better than your competition i don't really see how you're gonna make any profits but i am glad for all the businesses that are firing it up and i could be wrong maybe there's gonna be you know a, a crazy run uh of need for lightning capacity and it will take people a while to figure out how to spin up a node and during that time there'll be a lot of money made but i'm very skeptical uh i think if you're doing it it's just to support the network in the future not really to make any money um that that would be my if if i was participating that's why i would be uh john did you want to say something man yeah um so i was listening to Rose beast um podcast he's one of the lead devs at lightning and he said that it's actually pretty manual to route the payments um and run your own node I'm guessing that's going to be automated in the future, but um, right now they surface the ones that are good stewards that are actually routing um, payments. Yeah. But again, you know, the, those things can be automated, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think, that, I mean, they're definitely working on that. There's various versions of like autopilot where the channels are automatically opened and closed and tested and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe until that stuff gets rolled out, uh, I think, you know, Alex is doing that, right? He's he's manually doing a lot to manage his channel. So 
Uh, if there was a huge run tomorrow, uh, yeah, that's a skill set that's not been automated away. So there could be some money to be made there. I think I think uh, John number one or John number two, uh, John with an H, uh, was also going to say something. You're you're still muted, dude. Oh, uh, there we go. There uh, one of the things I think is interesting about Lightning is that effectively you're you're facilitating a loan to speed up the transaction and. Um, with the the happenings going forward, the happenings act as a sort of interest rate increase. So I'm waiting to see after the next happening if that increases the price of um, of a lightning transaction because it's basically an interest rate. So if we have this kind of push pull from one side with the miners, the new supply reducing the supply, if that Bitcoin kept on the node becomes more valuable and the effective interest rate increases because that's sort of what you're doing as a lightning operator. Yeah, you do have to tie up some Bitcoin in order to uh, facilitate the channels. Um, I don't, I can't imagine that that's going to be a huge part of the cost. Like I suppose if, if the channels were, I mean, right now they're, they're super small, but if the channels were the equivalent of like, hundred thousand dollars so maybe maybe you have a node with a million dollars worth of bitcoin and you have 10 channels uh with a hundred thousand dollars each um i guess i could sort of see that uh being if there was a need for that like if there's people that are moving large amounts of money around but even that is going to get really tough because they're the uh the last meeting that the lightning devs had uh they talked about really prioritizing splicing in and some other things that will allow you to use multiple channels um, to send a transaction. So uh, right now, if I wanted to send a, a transaction to Sean, I would have to, um, I would have to have a channel, it, like all of that amount would go through one channel, right? So if I had a channel open with Rollo and he had a channel open with Sean and I wanted to send Sean $100,000, I would have to send all $100,000 through Rolo, which would make, it, it would be a good reason to have a channel with Rolo if he had $100,000 in that channel, right? Because it facilitates a lot of transactions. Um, but if uh, if I wanted to send $100,000 to Sean and I had $100,000 in my wallet and I had 17 channels open and across all of those channels, I had $100,000, um, that's going to be able to, so that's something that's coming down the pipe that's uh multi-path payments i think is what they're calling it um so that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna make that other scenario a lot harder to pull off where you're like you're you're able to charge much because people are moving large amounts of money through just you um but maybe maybe i mean it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um but my guess is it's my guess is fees are gonna always stay you know Here's here's a prediction. We'll see if it's right. Like always, less than ten satoshi transaction. I really can't see. I can't see people being able to charge, um, and maybe in today's prices, right? Uh, I, I can't see people being able to charge more than that just to route a packet because that's that's all you're doing. You're tying up a little bit of money, but mostly you're just routing a packet. Um, and you know we're doing that a billion times a second right now in this conversation, so it's pretty cheap. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Interesting side note on that, though. You know, it, right now we're we're dealing with cheap data, um, and even with Bitcoin, even when we're talking about the Litecoin network, we're we're talking about what's effectively a finite resource, right? For 
for security. You're paying to use the most secure network effectively in human existence. So theoretically, right? I mean, we're dealing with what's, a, if it's a finite resource and you have to have the resource to use the security of the network, you very well might potentially see at least maybe like a fee driven market or like, like an interest driven market, like you were saying there, John, I, I think that that makes actually a lot of sense, especially if we were to see, you know, what we consider a dollar worth of wealth today to be worth like one Satoshi sometime in the distant future. Yeah, I, I guess. So, so even if we were looking at loans right now, like in order to make money on a loan, you're you're lending money out for like at least a month, right? Or a lot of times it's like several years. Um, if you have money tied up in a lightning channel, I don't, I don't know exactly what the timeline is, but I, I, I want to say you can get your money back within like three days, right? Like, I don't think it ever takes longer than that to close a channel. Um, so that's not, like you could say that you're earning interest on money that's tied up, that's not accessible to you, but in a way it's sort of like a checking account or a savings account that, uh, that it might take you three days to take your money out of worst case scenario. So that's not exactly, it's not, it's not tying up your capital for very long. And I think, I mean, ultimately in order to charge for something, there has to be, uh, there has to be a barrier to competition, um, or, uh, or you're not going to be getting profits, right? So uh, how many people are willing to tie up their savings for up to three days in order to route payments? I still think the security issue is probably bigger. Just having it on a hot wallet would make me a lot more nervous than than the, sort of the time that it's tied up. If, but but it is exciting. I mean, it's freaking, like lightning is amazing. I don't, I, I've said before, I'm not sure I would have been very excited about Bitcoin if if I had heard about it five years ago. Um, I kind of, you know, obviously everybody kicks themselves for it, but I think I would have looked at the scaling issue and been like, ah, I don't really see how that's going to work. Um, but now it's really obvious and it's it's working really great. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, really. Like, I, I feel like this is year one for Bitcoin um, because prior to that, I think, uh, I mean, this is overstating it maybe a little bit, but prior to that, I think a lot of people that were excited about Bitcoin were excited about it for the wrong reasons or didn't didn't realize that they were excited about something that couldn't scale, that we didn't know how to scale. Yeah, and I think I think as Bitcoiners too, like we kind of shy away from uh, the natural centralization that takes place for convenience sake, that's just prone to human nature. Um, I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that maybe we could see like custodian solutions arise in the future where companies are using like multi-sig uh, cold storage solutions to secure your Bitcoin and then putting parts of it on Lightning Network and offering you like a, like a checking account type interest return just for using them as your custodian solution. I don't think that those types of things are completely out of the realm of possible, even though as Bitcoiners, like we might scoff at that idea. We might look at that and say, no, like not your keys, not your Bitcoin. It, it's probably going to be a reality of the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think that the the idea of like not your keys, not your Bitcoin is is solid in the sense that um, if Bitcoin is not like other systems where you sort of like you can go to like an arbitrator or you know if somebody takes money out of your checking account, you can go complain to the bank and maybe you get it back. It's like if you control the keys, you own the Bitcoin. If you 
if you think you own the Bitcoin and you don't control the keys, you don't, right? Um, but multi-sig is awesome. And I don't see any reason that uh, that my grandma wouldn't want to have, you know, me hold the key, her hold the key, and maybe uh, some service uh, hold the key so that she doesn't accidentally lose her Bitcoin. But but ultimately, I think if maybe, maybe a better way to say it is if you don't have any keys, then it's definitely not your Bitcoin. <laughs> you can have like, you know, one of the three um, and maybe it's still your Bitcoin. But if you're if you're if you have your your Bitcoin in Coinbase right now, you do not own Bitcoin. You own um, maybe a legal claim on a company that may or may not deliver Bitcoin to you in the future. Uh, but, yeah, I think. I, I do think Lightning opens up a lot of really interesting stuff. Like I love that Lightning. Uh, gosh, what was the name of that website? Lightningspin.com. I think gambling is going to be really huge for Bitcoin. Um, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of gambling in general, um, but part of the reason for that is that the odds are really, really terrible, and it, people are really greasy about how they present it. Like the lotto is is super just evil. Um, but I think uh, I think what's interesting is that. And this is this is a good example of why Bitcoin is cool, um, because it's government hard. There's all kinds of situations where people want to be able to do stuff and can't, and Bitcoin will enable that. You, like you couldn't do this on Ethereum; somebody would just grab Vitalik by the neck and shake him a little bit, and the, you know the app would be turned off. But uh, but gambling apps on Bitcoin uh, with you know provably fair odds and things like that. Um, I think that's going to be a major application for a little while, and I think it hopefully it will help people understand probabilities and uh, get them out of it. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's right now. If you buy a lottery ticket in Powerball, I did the math on it. Your lottery ticket is actually it's two dollars to buy it. Um, it it should be worth fourteen cents. You have like fourteen cents worth of actual value if you do the math on the probability of winning at the various price points. Um, there's no reason why somebody couldn't build an app uh, soon, uh, thanks to simplicity and the stuff that's going on uh, on top of Bitcoin that would allow you to create a lottery system where you know you have a dollar ninety eight percent value out of a two dollar lottery ticket. That would mean something like instead of a forty million dollar payout. Uh, you would have um, like a $450 million payout, right? For the same amount of, uh, of risk. And that's weird because then, you know, is it irresponsible to buy a lottery ticket? Well, not really. Like if you bought $1,000 worth of lottery tickets, the net present value on that is like $999.90 or something. Like that's not actually that irresponsible. So that's you know what is that 10 cents worth of entertainment spending um so i think there's going to be some really interesting stuff that that comes down now that bitcoin can scale i i think fungibility is not as big of a deal as people make it um but i think uh i think being able to do smart contracts via simplicity on on liquid and bitcoin is going to be is going to be a you know really really huge um nate what's the uh i think we have one more question out of the forum right uh, no, we're we're done with the forum questions. Okay, cool. All right, so I have a question for you guys from Twitter. Um, uh, what is your biggest concern regarding the success of Bitcoin becoming global money? I think, in other words, you know, the the mission of Bitcoin obviously is to become global money and get adopted. And uh, if it happens, you know, a Bitcoin will be worth somewhere between a million and $20 million, uh, you know, an equivalent purchasing power. Um, 
if if it was going to be prevented um or you know if you guys are are thinking about it and you're kind of nervous about it actually happening what are you what are you thinking about i think my biggest concern would be something similar to the quantitative easing event and the benefit to asset holders and the massive uh, punishment to non-asset asset holders that we had between the last last 10 years. And that if I own a house and let's say I just own it outright and um, I don't own any Bitcoin, I could sell my house down the road for Bitcoin and pretty much come out, you know, net neutral. Um, if I don't have Bitcoin and I don't own any assets, um, I'm going to be in an even worse position than I was today. And I think when you get those types of situations, you get a lot of social strife and very, very bad political things. And um, how we resolve that, uh, I don't think is going to be good. So I, that would be my my major concern is that everyone who who currently holds assets and not like on paper, but actually holds assets like real estate and other things, um, they they'll survive a hyper Bitcoin Bitcoinization event, but. Um, those who don't will probably be even worse. Like their 401ks might be, you know, they might have or money markets or whatever. They might just be in really bad shape. So you, just to read that back to you, you're not worried that Bitcoin won't get adopted. You're worried about how weird and dangerous the world might get if it's adopted or as right. it's adopted. Right. Initially, because we've, I mean, the, the world has gotten more dangerous and, and more chaotic be, just because of this, you know, because of this split that we've had through quantitative easing. And I could see Bitcoin kind of doing that again, but in, in an even worse way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that does. That does. Um, yeah. No, that's a good, good thought. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic, but I don't disagree with you. Like, I think if we saw a run up to a hundred thousand right now, I would have mixed feelings <laughs> for that reason. Be like, Oh, this is great. Oh, I hope this transition smooth. Uh, cool. Any, anybody else have some thoughts? Yeah, I think that you, it's important to differentiate, like, how did we get to hyper-Bitcoinization, right? Was it hyperinflation? Was it gradual central bank accumulation? Um, was it like international trade wars? Was it, was it third world countries accumulating Bitcoin? I don't know, like, what it's going to look like. And all we can really do from here is kind of speculate how it's going to happen. I think best case scenario, we see, like, slow, gradual central bank accumulation like all across the world. And in Bitcoin is gradually introduced and adopted as like a global sound asset. And then it sort of transitions into becoming like a global reserve currency. I think worst case scenario is going to be hyperinflation because if we're honest with ourselves, there's not enough privacy right now um, for me to really feel comfortable knowing that I might own like a small percentage of the world's global wealth. Um, that doesn't sound like a good thing for me or my family, no matter how much it is in a situation where society is collapsing. Yep, totally. That is something that, um, that's something that I thought of when I was buying, you know, Bitcoin a year ago at the all time high, still the worst, uh, Bitcoin investor, um, just wanted everybody to know I'm still holding that title strong. I have not bought more at 3000. Um, although if it goes to a thousand, I'll give up my title because I just won't be able to resist. But, um, but I mean, one of the reasons that I didn't buy a ton of Bitcoin is that it, it's still, as of right now, not easy to buy a private Bitcoin. Um, 
localbitcoins.com was still a good option a year ago, but even that's not, uh, from what I understand, those guys have started doing KYC. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's really hard. Like I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and then uh, Coinbase get hacked and have that revealed now, let alone if uh, Bitcoin actually does what I expect it to do. So some something to think about there on privacy, which is part of the reason I'm really excited about stable coins, because you could, you know, in theory, go buy a bunch of stable coins um, and then trade those for Bitcoin in an atomic swap that was private. Um, so that's it's it's getting better. Um although we lost local Bitcoins. So nobody else is uh, concerned that Monero or Grin are going to uh, kick Bitcoin off the throne or that governments are going to stop printing money. Um, what's the uh, what's the John Nash guy that's always running around Twitter? Uh, governments are going to take a, take a hint from Bitcoin and they're going to stop printing money. Um, and that's why Bitcoin's never going to get adopted or something along those lines. Nobody, uh, nobody has those concerns. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, talk to that a little bit. Yeah, um, so the the big lure of the money printing machine is that you're always going to want to print more. You're always going to have to, um, and that's the biggest problem with centralized or central planning. And so uh, I'm not super concerned about that. That they're gonna, you know, all of a sudden, all the governments and central banks are going to say, "All right, we're going to have sound money." All of a sudden, it's just it's not going to happen. Um, but Saifedean and the noted guys talk a little bit about this and they actually call it like an attack on the fiat currency. So, um, one of the, one of the biggest reasons that Bitcoin is going to get adopted is because people are going to realize that it's really easy to buy or, or, um, borrow cheap money like fiat and buy sound money with it until you know that reaches an equilibrium which will be a long time from now yeah yeah that's an interesting thing the dude that um took out a mortgage on his house and you know bought three hundred thousand dollars worth of bitcoin or something um i i wouldn't recommend it just because i think that a lot of people are going to go crazy and just be terrible husbands and fathers in the transition but it, but if you could be just be a complete computer um some of that stuff it probably the risk reward there is not terrible i mean if you think about somebody that uh that's basically broke but they can get you know thirty thousand dollars worth of credit card debt um you know, you can file bankruptcy, right? It's not a, it's not the craziest idea if you're just completely screwed to say, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a shot. Um, I wouldn't recommend people do this and go to Vegas, you know, but that's kind of, uh, kind of what they're doing in a sense, but it's not the craziest thing in the world. If, uh, if you don't, if you're, you're convinced that you don't have better options, I think everybody has better options, like learn a skill, man, you can, you can do this, but, um, but I can imagine a lot of people believing that, that, uh, that they're in a dead end situation and, uh, they can't, they can't get ahead and swinging for the fences like that. Um, I could see that going really, really crazy, uh, to getting really popular. So I'm, I'm not opposed to that as a possible way that, that, uh, that it gets adopted. Yeah, another really interesting thing to think about there is that it, like in a hyperinflationary scenario, debt effectively becomes worthless for the holder. Like they literally get bought out of house and home overnight. 
Um, and in a lot of times in those situations, like economically speaking, you see the government socialize industries. Like what would like what kind of what like what happened in 2008 when we had the financial crisis in the housing bubble? Like we effectively socialized like a lot of industry when that happened. And a lot of people don't even realize that that happened like 10 years later. So if we have like a hyperinflationary scenario, we could see massive socialization of industry. And then not only that, we could see it, what would be illegal, but then they could re-denominate all global debt into Bitcoin, like away from uh, US dollar. And then the question would kind of be like whether or not all the people holding most of the Bitcoin were willing to put up with that like were they are they gonna like pay those debts at the end of a gun or are they going to just like hold fast and wait 30 years until the centralized institutions collapse that's going to be a messy transition and i don't even really want to think about yeah yeah totally hopefully it'll it'll be smoother but um yeah so it sounds like everybody's convinced the transition's going to happen it's just a matter of, like if so it's it's not that we're worried that the transition isn't going to happen it's that we're worried about what it might be like in the in the process. Um, I actually have something that, that disturbed me the other day. Um, so, you know, we have this inflation bug. Uh, so this is the answer to the question, like if Bitcoin didn't get adopted, what would be the thing? Um, so this is, this is my answer at this point. Um, we had the inflation bug and I was really encouraged by it because I was like, look, you know, everybody seems to have responded to this thing. Like, even if, the, the issue with the inflation bug is that people could have um, could have received Bitcoin um, that their node and every other node on the network would have considered valid, right? But that didn't exist prior. Um, so it's pretty much the worst kind of bug that you could have, right? You're able to create new Bitcoin out of thin air, um, but it was it was an obvious you know software flaw, right? So the developers noticed it, they quietly dealt with it, and it was fixed before anybody you know, was able to exploit the flaw. So I was encouraged because they handled the bug pretty well. Um, and it was kind of the worst thing that could happen. And then the the comments that I heard from everybody after that was, um, look, even if it got exploited, it's not like anybody is going to, um, is going to say that those are valid Bitcoin, right? So the damage would be localized. In other words, if I exploited that bug and I bought a house, you know, and I sent uh, Nate $200,000 worth of Bitcoin for his house, everybody was kind of saying, you know, if somebody exploited that like that, but it was not valid Bitcoin, Nate would be screwed, right? He'd be left holding the bag. Um, that's unfortunate, but the damage would be localized to a few people getting fake Bitcoin. Um, and so I was feeling good. I was like, you know, even if the kind of the worst bug got exploited, um, we still, it, it looks like there is broad consensus that we would have just said, sorry, man, you got some bad Bitcoins. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to honor those. Right. But then I was listening to Ansel Linder who, who I love incidentally, he's a good guy. Um, uh, I bust his chops on his technical analysis nonsense, but, but he's still a good dude. Um, and on his show, he was talking about this and he was saying that he was confident that, uh, and that everybody was telling him, you know, like everybody in his circles, he was confident that there wouldn't be a rollback. And what he meant by a rollback is saying that those transactions that your node may have told you was valid were actually invalid. Um, and that that really blew my mind. I, have, I actually I haven't hit him up. I've been meaning to hit him up on Twitter, but he's he's been in my nightmares uh, ever since he said that because the net result of that would be 
but we'd have 22 million Bitcoin, right? And I think, or, you know, however many above the cap. And I think as soon as we give up on that, um, as soon as there's a bug, like if there is a bug and it's exploited in a way that creates invalid Bitcoin, I really hope that we just say, no, those are invalid Bitcoin. I think it would result in it, like the way that I actually think this would play out, I think it would result in possibly a chain split. If Ansel picked the 22 million Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, I think he'd end up on Bitcoin Cash. You know, it might take a while, but people would realize that was a really bad call, um, and I would end up, you know, just making more money for making a, a good decision. But, um, but I could see that. I mean, that was that was disturbing, right? It was disturbing to me that maybe maybe we would end up in a, in a split because um because he's not a he's not a dumb dude and he's not trying to create you know uh, ethereum or whatever um and he came down on it on the side of we wouldn't want to screw over the people that got valid bitcoin and i would come down on it like no those were not valid bitcoin so um yeah it's not really keeping me up at night but if i had to answer the question what is most disturbing to me right now about uh bitcoin security i'd, I'd have to say that inflation bug and uh um and and ansel and some of the other people's response to it that i i uh i'm not a fan of so uh yeah now that it, now that i've said it i'll uh, i'm sure i'll hear from him but uh but yeah that that's really it's disturbing that that bug existed it's disturbing that we don't have more testing um we don't have more test code to catch that sort of stuff we don't have more code review to catch it sooner we did catch it but it sure would have been nice to catch it before it ever made it into the code um so it's not a guarantee that it's all going to work out but i still like our chances but uh but yeah if there's something that bothers me it'd probably be that that whole situation so um all right, that was the last question from the forum. Um, I think there is one more question on Twitter that I was going to ask. Uh, actually, we already talked about that. It just came up naturally. It was related to Bitcoin and banks, Lightning, that sort of stuff. We, we can talk about the guy uh, that was in the YouTube chat trying to shill Elixir, which is apparently David Chom's cryptocurrency project. Um, he oh, literally threw an appeal to authority at i don't think he's here anymore he's not watching but i want to talk about this uh i didn't want to talk about it earlier because it's a waste of time but th all right so if you guys don't know who david chom is just for those of you watching at home like he i think he invented hash or ecash i think back in like the 80s which was like a precursor to bitcoin and severely flawed when compared to bitcoin um i'm not you know trying to take anything away from mr chom and his probably massive contributions to the cryptographic community but what i am saying is that if david chom is so interested in cryptocurrencies why is he not contributing to bitcoin why did he create this elixir project um and i don't i'm not I, when you start coming at me and telling me that proof of work is inefficient and that it needs to be that we need to come up with a better solution like i'm gonna immediately tune you out because you clearly you don't understand like what proof of work was a attempting to do in the first place. It was not meant to be efficient. That's for sure. Yeah, that that whole thing is really kind of a bummer. Um, yeah, David Chom is like old school, old school cypherpunk kind of guy, like Tim May era. Um, and uh, a lot of the people that, that work on Bitcoin now worked for him at some point um, for his company, DigiCash. And uh, 
the the problem with digicash was that it was it ultimately it was just centralized right so um he was trying he he had created some really brilliant stuff but it needed a bank to um to use it and banks don't want to use stuff that improves personal privacy and those sort of things um so it didn't get adopted and the company went bankrupt um and uh actually adam back in some interviews talks about how um, he was using DigiCash and they were, you know, the cypherpunk guys were really excited about the possibility of, of bootstrapping it. And it did bootstrap a value and it was being used. Um, but that the lesson that came from that is that you have to have it be decentralized, right? You can't, you can't be dependent on a bank to enable electronic cash, private, you know, fungible electronic cash, um, because of, because DigiCash proved that out, right? They just, they don't want to have anything to do with it. They they exist to do the opposite right um so i haven't looked into i have not looked into elixir um but it here's here's where i'm at right now there seems to be like two ways to, to order transactions either proof of work or trusting somebody i've not heard anybody including the elixir guys or anybody else suggest that they've come up with a, a third or a hybrid or anything that makes sense um so I think right now it's it just feels like it feels really sad and depressing that, that he's doing this that he's creating this thing and that seems to be the response of everybody um it's sort of just like this quiet sadness right i haven't seen a lot of the cypherpunk guys come out hard against him uh because i think that they still have some respect for him and uh and it's a sad situation um but they're the uh the saying like you you're, you're either here long enough to uh um, to sell your soul and shell a crap coin or, uh, or you die young, um, seems to be the pattern. So I, I don't know. That's, it's kind of a bummer, but, um, but yeah, it, I have not heard, I mean, so here's, here's another sort of, uh, cutting the Gordian knot thing to help people understand why I don't think that this, this elixir is going to be anything. If they come up with anything of value, Bitcoin's an open source project that will adopt it. Um, it's it's really that simple so um yeah that's that's a bummer that's that's totally depressing <laughs> tim tim may died and david chom is launching a crap coin i am going to go eat a shotgun now see you guys <laughs> all right uh any any other uh any other thoughts comments uh, I just wanted to throw out there, um, one of the beauties of Bitcoin is you can release any code you want to, and it, it's just a free market of whether the nodes are going to adopt it or not. You know, So they could roll back all those transactions that were bad because of the CVE bug, but if the majority of the nodes don't adopt it, then it doesn't matter. You know, I could... I could add in anything I wanted to into the Bitcoin um, code. And as long as the nodes don't adopt it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. Um, yeah. Th th this, that kind of brings up something that's been annoying me for a while. And that's the way that people talk about running a full node um, as if it's sort of like this religious ceremony or something, right? Like just to be a good Bitcoiner, you have to run a full node. The only purpose of running a full node is to tell you if the Bitcoins that you're receiving right now are valid or not. 
it doesn't have any other purpose, right? Like you don't need to run a full node to send Bitcoin to somebody because what do you care whether they're valid or not? If they send you, you know, if you're trying to buy a kilo of cocaine and you get your kilo of cocaine, you're good. You don't, you didn't need to run a full node to send that transaction. Maybe there's privacy issues or some other things there, but, but at a high level, um, it, it doesn't matter when you're sending it, right? Um, but when you receive Bitcoin, if I send you Bitcoin and you're sending me the kilo of cocaine, you want to know that you got real Bitcoin. You want to know you didn't get Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin smash or any of these other, you know, nonsensical things. You want to make sure you're getting coins that are not double spent, that they're real valid, actual Bitcoin. Um, and that's why you, that's why, and when you run a node, um, if you have Bitcoin that's in cold storage, um, you know, maybe, maybe running a node, um, helps route transactions a little bit um very questionable uh sort of there ultimately the the network cares about not whether you have a node right now but the network cares about um and anybody on the network cares about whether you will accept their bitcoin as valid or not so even if you're not running a full node um if you own a bunch of Bitcoin and at some point you're going to maybe buy more or accept more in a transaction, the knowledge that you are going, you know, we're all betting, right? We're all betting on which coin we hold based on how likely it is that other people are going to be willing to accept that as a payment in the future. Um, and so we're all sort of betting on what full node the person that we're trying to sell Bitcoin to is going to be running at some point in the future which it's it's a complicated way to explain it but that's really what's going on um so uh yeah i mean i'm not saying don't run a full node but i'm saying if you don't care whether you get counterfeit bitcoin or not then don't run a full node and if you're not accepting bitcoin having your full node just sit there is not really doing anything um but but don't accept Bitcoin unless you actually are getting Bitcoin. And the only way that you can do that is to run a full node. There's no other way that you can be sure that you've actually got real Bitcoin other than running a full node. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think with that, we should just wrap up. Um, good conversation. I like this format a lot better uh, where we just kind of go around the room more. I think you guys have a lot of insights that I enjoy. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, part of the, part of the whole purpose of creating the class was just to sort of curate my Twitter feed. So, um, this has been, uh, this has been good. I think we'll, we'll stick with this format. Uh, look forward to your guys thoughts after, after the, uh, after the show too, but, uh, to everybody that's listening, thanks a lot. Um, don't buy Grin, don't buy Monero, don't buy David Chom's crap coin. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Oh, play MathBot. Go out to mathbot.com and play that game. All right. See you guys.